The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of anyone at Innovative Sim Solutions or our sponsors. Do you plan to design a new Sim Center, expand your existing simulation center or simulation program? Just give Innovative Sim Solution experts a call. We are a team of simulation subject matter experts and consultants with over 50 years of experience designing simulation centers and programs. We are here to help you save time and money. Innovative Sim Solutions is your one-stop shop for all your simulation needs. Welcome to the Sim Cafe, a podcast produced by the team at Innovative Sim Solutions, edited by Shelley Hauser. Join our host, Deb Tauber, and co-host, Jared Jeffries, as they sit down with subject matter experts from across the globe to reimagine clinical education and the use of simulation. So pour yourself a cup of relaxation, sit back, tune in, and learn something new from the Sim Cafe. Welcome to another episode of the Sim Cafe. And today we are here with our new co-host, Jared Jeffries. Jared, do you want to say hi? Hello, everybody. <laughs> and we are very thrilled to have Dr. Demetrius Stephanidis. Dr. Stephanidis, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much, first of all, for having me here. Uh, I'm very appreciative for that, to be given the opportunity. I am um, a general and bariatric surgeon uh, and work uh, in Indianapolis at Indiana University. I serve on the role of a vice chair of education um, at the institution in the Department of Surgery and oversee our simulation center in that role. I used to be the medical director of our simulation center in Atrium in Charlotte before I moved to Indianapolis. Yes, and they miss you there, says Don Spaderski. <laughs> That's right. So I, I've been involved in the society uh, since I was a fellow in training. 2004, I believe, is the first time I came. And I don't think I've missed a meeting since because it's exciting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think for good reason. You've seen the maturity of these conferences develop over the years. And now looking around, we're in the middle of a healthcare simulation technology festival which is right. extremely exciting and who would have ever thought something like that in 2004 when it happened and it's a lot bigger than it ever has been and a lot more exciting you're absolutely yeah, right certainly yeah. certainly well so we do have a few questions because we also are aware that you helped lead the research summit this year is that correct yes sir great so first give us in for, for the general population, what, what is the Research Summit? How often does it occur? Give us a little more detail and information about that. So the society, um, <clears throat> from its inception, has been wanting to uh, encourage and promote research and simulation because any new field needs the research to advance and get stronger. To, to bring forward evidence, right, that um, 
uh, helps shape practices. So the, the first time this, uh, a research summit was conducted was in the 2010, around that time. Mm -hmm. The society does it every several years, not an annual event. Mm -hmm. The second one was 2017, mm -hmm. and uh, this was the third one. So the research committee of the society, which is currently led by Dr. Michelle Kelly, is um, uh, was tasked to organize the next SIPSA. So, mm -hmm. so I'm a member of that committee, okay. and in one of the retreats that we had, and we're discussing what we should do, mm -hmm. this is like three years ago now. Yeah. Um, World's a much different place now. <laughs> right, 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 right. So uh, it was right before the okay. COVID pandemic, I guess. So I threw, I threw out the idea that we could consider combining perhaps the research summit with uh, development of evidence-based recommendations. Mm -hmm. Because I do have a background in this, uh, I've been working with a surgical society for numerous years, uh, uh, developing guidelines. I used to chair the, uh, the guidelines development for a society that represents my clinical specialty. Yeah. So I thought uh, it would be good to bring this into simulation and education because nobody has, has really done it that way. So the research committee was receptive and uh, the board was even more receptive. So that's how this happened. So we said, okay, let's do it. We didn't know where it would take us. I don't know if you watched uh, today's keynote address about uh, embracing failure we did, or taking risks, I guess. So like, let's take a risk and see where it takes us. So that's how this started. And of course, there's been a lot of work leading into this because the, the process we follow um, to do the evidence-based reviews, systematic reviews, and then come up with specific recommendations on specific topics, um, it's honors. It takes takes a while, it takes a lot of effort, it takes a lot of people, and we had probably close to 200 people who participated. In, in 200? Probably somewhere wow. there. We lost count at some yeah. point because every group had their own members. Yeah. Uh, but we, we had a steering committee, mm -hmm. and the steering committee was led by myself. We had Sharon Murat Wagstaff, we had uh, David Cook, we had um, uh, Sharon Decker and Adam Cheng at the beginning um, of the process. And then, of course, we also engaged a methodologist uh, who is very well versed to the methodology because we wanted to really follow the methodology as robust as we could to do this as, as good as it gets, right? Yeah. And uh, we also engaged a couple of our research fellows, uh, Amelia Collings, Mohammed Callender, who worked with me to, because you do need a lot of work and organization. And the society actually was really behind this because they supported this. There's a, it's a big expense yeah. to put something like this together. But uh, they supported the budget um, and um, we were able to put it together. We chose essentially, after several discussions with the other steering committee members, uh, we chose 12 topics to focus on, which we thought were representative of the field. So how did you determine those 12 topics? So uh, it was an iterative process okay. of constant discussion with the other steering committee members. Uh, we felt um, what are the main, perhaps 12 domains, okay. if you like, yep. of simulation mm -hmm. uh, and how we perceive it. And um, because we wanted to have recommendations on each of these uh, aspects. Um, and we came up with 12 topics. 
could probably have come with uh, 22 or, or, or etc. But we settled on 12. We we had to keep it manageable, and then um, <clears throat> based on those 12 topics, we thought, okay, who are the people we know who are really leaders in that in those areas, and have some experience, ideally, of conducting systematic reviews because. If they don't, it's a lot more involved teaching them to do it. So, and that's how we identified uh, 24 leads because we assigned two leads in each group, okay. usually a man and a woman. Mm -hmm. And um, then we gave them specific uh, instructions what we were after, what we were trying to do. And we had constant meetings. Every two weeks we had a, a call, a Zoom call. And today, yesterday, oh, when the summit was, it was the first time that I saw some of those people in person and I was hugging them to see, make sure they're real, right? So, uh, but um, uh, it worked out well. It worked out well. Uh, to be honest, at the outset, because I, I have experience with this process, I know it's hard, I know people don't like it because it's hard. Uh, it doesn't allow them, a lot of experts like to bypass the process a little to be because they're experts like i just want to say what mm -hmm. i want to say but mm -hmm. that process actually makes you think twice about it it wants you to be transparent mm -hmm. to avoid that expert bias if you like yeah. and that can be challenging for many but uh, we followed it i think pretty well and uh, initially we said okay we have 12 groups we don't know if they all will be able to move everything across and but even if half of them do, six groups is still great, right? So Certainly. we still have something. Eventually, all 12 came through, wow. uh, which was, uh, which I would say uh, I probably wasn't expecting that all 12 would yeah. go through, but they did, which is great news. Uh, and it's an attestation to the quality of the people we put in charge of this. Mm -hmm. But of course, none of this would have happened if they didn't have dozens uh, of people behind them. Mm -hmm. uh, some groups have, may have had, an individual group may have had, by looking at the number of people they listed in their presentations at the summit, 30, 40 people. So that's not a small number of people. Because you do need a lot of people to review the evidence, etc. Mm -hmm. So and we structured the summit to have um, a reviewing team that would look at the evidence and an expert panel that would uh, critically appraise that evidence and make the recommendations. That's the way the grade process that we followed works. So, and some groups had some overlap between the two groups, so we tried to keep them separate to the, to the extent possible, um, because that's how it works better. That's, and that's a lot of logistics going back and yes, forth as yes. well, especially yeah. from a global perspective. Right. You know, with yeah, you're right, because a lot of the people who participated were international, not just US-based. Mm -hmm. yeah. What was the most interesting thing that you guys discovered? Do you have something that you can speak to as, wow, this was... So, I think uh, probably the most interesting thing and, and the wow factor is, it's probably one of the first time, this is the first time this has been done, uh, uh, to really look critically at the evidence and say, Okay, what can we learn from it or what can we say? Because the way this guidelines process is structured is to lead to actionable recommendations. And what that means is, I can tell you, who may be a simulation user, you should do this instead of that, if you have an option, okay. right? 
because that's what guidelines are supposed to do. And the reason you should do this versus that is because of this, 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 and this. That's what this is supposed to be like. Something we did identify, but that was part of the initial thinking as well, and I, was, I personally was expecting this, is that a lot of groups, because in the beginning of this process you develop the questions of interest. You say, as expert, you get the expert panel together and you ask them, can you define what are the most important questions that we should have an answer to in the area, right? Um, and you structure the questions in a comparative way because when you do that, so meaning comparing something with something else, you can provide an actual recommendation because it, either one will be better than the other or, or vice versa or there won't be any difference. Does that make sense? That's how you structure it. That's a little bit different than traditional uh, reviews of the evidence. So, so one of the things that did come out, which we knew it would, is that we do lack good quality evidence to answer some of those questions. But that was also one of the main goals of, the, of that effort, to point out to the community, we need answers to these questions that we think are important, go and generate the evidence. So we have also created uh, research priorities, and that's how it ties with the research summit, right? It's about research. So, um, in other words, we looked critically at the evidence, we identified the things we can confer judgments on, and the things we cannot, because we don't have the evidence, and said, okay, can you guys, the community, the research community, ramp up uh, a little the, the efforts, and the next time we come back to do some of this, we have more full questions to, but still, we did have a number of uh, good recommendations that will be coming out, we'll put this all in a publication we'll be sharing with the community. That'll be wonderful to look forward to. When do you think that will be released? So, I hope that within the next six months we can wrap it up. I know that it always takes longer when you work with people, but... Uh, <laughs> We'll do the best well, we can. AI to get is it. on its way to make it, so maybe we don't know how to work with people so much that's in the right, future. Right. But no, it's all good. People are it's great. But it, I mean, six months, even if it's give take whatever, you know, a couple months, it's that's such a large initiative to even yes, get, get yes. that over the finish line. So yeah, absolutely, congratulations on, on getting this set up and getting to move it. Thank you, thank you. Because I, I even hearing from seventeen was the last time I did it. Were there any processes of best practices or any type of benchmarks that you wanted to hit from the previous ones or where you kind of more on a clean slate and trying to hit certain um, goals for yourself. Right, so, so the previous summits, they had all specific focus um, areas. Um, and um, the, first, the very first summit did have a number of papers that came out that provided some recommendations for what to do in different areas uh, for research. Um, we did find out that um, Despite that effort, a lot of questions still remain unanswered. But because we were expecting this, one of the things we also did as part of the summit, we, the, the attendees of the summit, we brought them out into the, the 12 groups in, the, in an effort and hopes that we can stimulate some collaborative work to address those in, uh, priorities we identified. In other words, can we bring them together to create projects, do the research, mm -hmm. to bring back the, the results we need to make some of, to address some of these important questions. And actually the society, you, you may be aware, is, which was another ask we had to the society, and again, they were very responsive. 
they're raising funds to make some available for people to do studies. Does that make sense? So it was the whole packet that we tried to accomplish. Very exciting. And, and so to, to sum that up, though, is what does a successful research summit look like for right. you? Right, so, so the, the success I would define as, number one, getting to publish the recommendations. We've done the, most of the work. We just need to put it in writing now. Yeah. Getting, I think the other point of success will be to see some of the groups that we were formed in this summit to really move forward and do projects. That we, and, they, have, and they have the autonomy to do so even after this process. Yes, yeah, yeah, because, again, the idea was can we cross-fertilize? Can we get you, me, and, and you kind of work together yeah. on an area of interest that we, based on this process, we, th we think is a priority that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And let's see how we're going to do this and perhaps we can get some funding to help us mm -hmm. do it through the society or through other methods because we had also uh, speakers from the NIH okay. uh, that uh, prompted us you know, to submit some more grants mm -hmm. so we can advance the field. And all this information will be eventually available through Absolutely. for all members. Absolutely, or? yes. Yes. I mean, that's that's the main goal. Okay. Absolutely. So, so first was first measure of success was you know trying to wrap it up and put a little bow tie on it. Do it. We yeah. did it. It was great. We had 300 attendees. It was excellent. It was better attended than I thought it would be. So that, that was a really great success. And um, as you said, the, there's more check marks coming, Certainly. Yeah, yeah. which is the publication that will follow this, but again, we structure it in a way that, because previous, the previous summits finished at the publication stage, mm -hmm. but this summit will structure it so that there's continuity because with the working groups. Does it make sense? Yeah. Whether it's going to work out or not, we'll find out. Well, but you got to try. You're yeah, not going right. to know. You're going to have to take the risk and yeah. see what happens. Is there anything you'd like to ask us or anything you're curious about or any ways some of our listeners can help you and support you? So, so mainly perhaps a message that uh, if, if anybody in the community would be interested to engage, everything we've done is more about getting the word out, right? And, and whoever wants to be engaged, just contact us. Okay. And how best to do so with that? So uh, probably you can email me personally uh, or through the society, contact the research committee which, who has been very engaged in this process of the society and the leadership. I'm a member of the committee as well. And then we can see what the interests of the individual people are and we can direct them appropriately to the different groups that are, are being formed currently. And we can put that in the show notes so that people can go ahead and look into there sure, where yeah. the contacts are yes, and yes. how they want to get involved. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that would be a great next step. This has been wonderful and we really appreciate you. Thank you. And all the things that you've done for the society. And we're very, very thankful. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Did I address your questions? Yes, you did. All right. Okay. Perfect. Happy simulating. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks to Dr. Demetrius Stefanidis for joining us in the IMSH podcast booth, discussing your summit project and working groups. Be sure to connect with him. Up next, Deb and Jared sit down with Jen Sue from Lairdall, where she will be discussing her role in healthcare education. Welcome to another episode of The Sim Cafe. And I'm here, your host, Deb Tarot, with my co-host, 
Jared Jeffries, and today we have the honor of introducing and learning about Laridol, Jensu. So, Jensu, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your role? My role at Laridol is heading up healthcare education team. In this team, we realize what is the future of healthcare education and uh, what Laridol's and our partners' role is in that future. So we work with a lot of vision and strategy development and uh, some of the you know, growth in our solutions, but also how we bring new solutions to the market. And we work with how our companies transition from providing input to really documenting learner outcomes. Thank you for all you do. And Jared has just spoken so highly of you. So um, Jared, you go ahead, set yeah, this up. Thanks for the time here. So obviously we know that Laredo has been a big, one of the legacy healthcare simulation partners, as we can see from their presence here at IMS Edge. And we've talking with a few others, but how have you seen the development and maturity of the industry and where Laredo is today and where they want to be in the future? We play a strong role in bringing the community together. And I feel like um, we also have a strong position in enabling our partners, not only professional association partners, but other companies here to bring solutions, you know, uh, and bring the, or increase the reach of solutions that they have uh, globally. So we would like to work even closer with uh, some of the, you know, companies that we see here, and we've been having a lot of meetings and learning more about them. Certainly, and I love that ambition to, even, even being one of the more premier players as you are with the sponsorship, you're still looking for the next big thing and, and trying to be receptive towards the smaller companies and, and partner with those that can really help save more lives. Absolutely. So, uh, Lairdal has a bold uh, goal. Uh, our 2030 goal is to help save one million more lives each wow. year. And uh, we know that we won't be able to do it alone. We work with our partners and also we will work with more companies going forward. And the other um, progress that I would love to share with you all is that uh, we will be working a lot more with uh, competency-based education and enabling our uh, you know, solutions to document and um, show the learner progress. So we will be playing more stronger in that area as well. And we, we chatted with Simax earlier, who's working with Elsevier. Is it correct that you, Laredo, is working with Walters Kluwer? Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, I love I love seeing those partnerships where you have you know synergies from both sides, and uh, you're able to really leverage the, the solutions and the scopes that you're, you've been used to. So, looking around, obviously there's there's gadgets flying left and right. What what has been your favorite thing about IMSH? What are, are you looking forward to? What is Laredal bringing to the table this week? And uh, tell us more about where you see simulation today. What we are bringing new, there are really uh, a few new experiences. We, of course, have a big focus on uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So you'll see that thread across more of most of our solutions uh, you know, at the booth. Some of the exciting new developments is, uh, is around the virtual reality. So we have something at the booth called VR Clinicals. Mm -hmm. And we've been uh, investigating on how to best use VR technology in the past few years because we have, of course, a, you know, quite an established virtual simulation product uh, on screen basin for nursing with Walters Kluwer and uh, with NLM content. But what we really discovered is that uh, virtual reality will um, 
enhance the learnings around multi-patient prioritization and that immersive experience in a hospital ward. So we have developed, um, again, in the same partnership, pretty much a virtual clinical experience, we call it, where students go through you know, the challenging clinical judgment processes, looking into uh, multiple patients, prioritizing, interacting with patients, but also being interrupted by other colleagues. And they have to make a decision, am I going to continue caring for who I have you know, in the room, or am I going to change rooms? So those are those moments of clinical judgment settings that we put them into. And the reception has been just fantastic. Uh, and that's the really the unique value proposition. And there's so much and so valuable we are experiences. And we've also been, you know, looking around and interacting and very much open and inviting others to come and try. Uh, and I think both uh, solutions have a place. Some of the things out there are more, you know, patient interaction in a kind of a shorter scenario and that's also good you know we want to have more immersion even in you know one patient simulation but we try to position it a little bit differently I love how you how you're doing that because that does happen in healthcare my daughter is a nurse in the intensive care unit and she says you know all of a sudden they'll come to her and say oh you have to get another patient or you have to and what do you how do you transition that and how do you prioritize and how are you sure? I mean, she's been doing it for 10 years now, so she's comfortable, but I can imagine the newer nurses who are just coming into this field need to learn those skills before they get hit in the face with them and then leave the field. Yes, and this is the knowledge that National League for Nursing has brought into uh, you know this solution. Um, Lardell and Walter Skluer, we are developing the technology together, but uh, at the same time, uh, you know, those um, clinical judgment moments, as you have described here, this is what our partnership with the National Health Nursing provides. Fantastic. And, wh and where do you see simulation in three to five years? Everything collecting data, obviously. Uh, we will be hopefully going to more standardized, uh, that's my hope. Um, and um, nothing will be able to exist without showing competency gains uh, mm -hmm. from the learners. And, we will be playing strong there. Do you have any questions for us? No, I really appreciate being part of this. Uh, it's been a pleasure to you know, listen to some of the podcasts. And um, I'm relatively new to this field as well and the community. And it's just such a nice, welcoming environment. And so thank you for uh, inviting and thank you for spreading the wonderful uh, happenings from this conference. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest. Happy simulating. Thanks to Innovative Sim Solutions for sponsoring this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at the Sim Cafe. We hope you enjoyed. Connect with us at www.innovativesimsolutions.com and be sure to hit that like and subscribe button so you never miss an episode of the Sim Cafe.